Love Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Our guest, Robin Simon, is a two-time Emmy Award-winning filmmaker specializing in documentaries and television series. A former TV news reporter, Robin has written and produced hundreds of hours of television programming for various networks, including PBS, Travel Channel, NBC, Discovery, CNBC, HGTV, The Reels, and others. She's currently in post-production on her latest documentary feature, Do No Harm, about the hidden epidemic of physician suicide. In addition to two Suncoast Emmys, Robin has been honored by the Associated Press, NABJ, and three National Tele Awards, among others. And Carol, I understand that Robin won the Roy Dean Summer Grant for 2017. Yes, Claire, she did. We're so honored to be part of Robin's extraordinary film, Do No Harm. So thank you, Robin, for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. appreciate it. Well, we have so much we want to cover today. We want to know about your two successful Kickstarter campaigns, your tips on producing documentaries, and uh, what advice you can give us on saving money in post, which we really need. Uh, So let's start with where you are now, and then we'll get into some of these other things. Well, we... uh I actually just got back from two pre-release screenings of the film, one in Washington, D.C. for over 500 medical students, and then uh, also at MD Anderson uh, in Houston. So we're billing it as pre-release screenings because we want to premiere uh, at a top 10 film festival. So uh, we're, we're holding that premiere uh, status sacred until we have a film festival that that uh, will work and of course you need to premiere at a top 10 to really get any kind of traction for distribution traditional distribution right the, the film is pretty much done uh, we still are tinkering with it it's you know it's like you have to pry it from our cold hands right but, uh, you know <laughs> um so there are few little fixes that we're going to be doing over the next month and uh, bringing in some live musicians for the score. But other than that, it's uh, it's pretty much done now. Live musicians for the score. Oh, my gosh, that would be marvelous. It makes a big difference. You know, if you can afford it, uh, the cello, guitar, harp, you know, these are instruments that are you know, they're, they're hard to achieve, you know, in a synthesizer. And, and so if you don't have the live musicians come in, you're, you're left with sort of a synthy sound that, you know, it could work, but, oh, boy, you know, if you hear the difference, it's, it's pretty profound, especially on good speakers. Right, right. And I imagine music is really an important part of this film because of the highs and lows and the stories and enhancing the storyline, right? Oh, music is critical. You know, one thing in all the films that I've done is I've insisted on an original score. It's part of the storytelling. Um, And, you know, the, the cost of a score can range anywhere from, you know, if you have a friend who who's starting out, you know, for $5,000 up to $30,000. And that's on the low end, you know, for an independent documentary film. But it's, I, I just feel like it raises the production value so much. It's as important as, you know, finishing the film with a good sound engineer and color correction. It, it's just that critical for me. I mean, they have um, library music, 
and um, I'm very, you know, I, I'm good at, like, finding temp music, and sometimes producers, directors have been accused of having what they call temp love, which is, yeah, right. you, know, you fall so in love with your the temp music that you found, you know, you're, like, trying to get your composer to, to you know, recreate the sound, when that might not be the best thing to do. It's just that you're so used to hearing it over the past few months. And since I edit my own films, like I, uh-huh. I need music to sort of get me in the mood for a section. So I have music on my films quite early in the editing process. So, so yeah, after three months, I have a, a bad case of, of temp love. Well, I'm so happy things are going really uh, this uh, perfect for you. So, but let's get into some of the big mistakes that filmmakers make when they're thinking about making a documentary. So, try to give us four or five of those mistakes that that they that they could prevent if they are aware of them. Yeah, you know, I. I've talked to so many filmmakers, and um, the first thing that I, I notice is that they just don't know if there's a big enough audience for their film. And and they don't know if they're going to have access to that audience. Maybe you could put that in an email and send it to yourself. Um, so, you know, you have to know if it's, if there's an audience for your film. I mean, if you're doing a film that's from the heart, it's a personal story, it's a story that you must tell, that's different. You know, I, I think that's wonderful, and, and personal stories are so impactful. And there may not be an obvious audience, but it's something that maybe a general audience can relate to. But outside of that very personal, you know, intimate, film that you feel like you must tell, you know, chronicling your own life story or let's say, you know, someone is undergoing a a battle with cancer and, you know, these are heart-wrenching stories about the human condition that are always powerful. But outside of that, even those, it's hard to raise money outside of your family and friends. So the first thing I I think is so important is that is there an audience for this film and do you have access? Um, They often, filmmakers don't identify in advance funding partners to see if this film is, is even viable before spending so much time. They just, you know, they dive in with shooting, spending their own resources sometimes without a real plan of action. So even uh, launching a a crowdfunding campaign without a strategy and without these funding partners who are going to, you know, take this journey with you, um, you know, you're talking about four years of your life, sometimes more. And so you need to be fully committed to this. And I, I just think that the reason why so many films fail and don't get done is because all of this planning, you know, doesn't go into it before you say, yes, I, I'm going to do this film. My, I did a film, um, the one right before Do No Harm, Uncle Gloria, One Hell of a Ride. And it was about this uh, guy who hides from the law as a woman and then decides to undergo a, a sexual reassignment surgery and becomes an activist. And, you know, it's a very funny Story actually, um, it's all you know. She's an elderly person, but you know, there's not a lot of money in the transgender world. It's it's, it's oversaturated right now with films, and so you know, we had a really tough time uh, doing fundraisers. I mean, we we did one fundraiser just as an example. It was an event, and it took us two to three months to plan the event. Now we got some sponsors for the event to provide, you know, food and all of these things. We got a venue. But in the end, we raised, maybe we netted like less than $3,000. Oh, my gosh. So, too much work. Yes, too much work. So you really have to really uh, be careful about 
how you're going to spend your time. And it all starts with the film choice, you know, who is this for? So Do No Harm was a completely different experience because we had, it was about physicians. And there are many organizations for physicians. And um, we uh, connected with people where the connectors, like you're a connector, Carol, you know, like you know a lot of people. So we connected with people in the medical field that had blogs or, you know, podcasts, and they had like tens of thousands of followers. So we reached out to them, and when we did our Kickstarter campaign, it, it was so much easier because they spread the word. We put together a team even before we, you know, pulled the switch on the Kickstarter campaign. We had we had this all lined up. Well, wait a minute. This sounds wonderful. Let's just stay on this subject. So you you had a yeah. Kickstarter team, and you had it all lined up. So what does that mean? Be more specific for us, because this is great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. I put together a team of five or six people. And these people were not just people who were just, you know, loved the film. I looked at their backgrounds carefully and I decided that these people know how to connect with other people. Because if you just have, oh, yeah, you know, have your cousin and your sister and your mother, you know, on your team, if they're not connected to your audience, they're just going to be spinning their wheels and you're going to be very frustrated. So I put together a team of people who were connected in the medical field. Uh, One in particular, Dr. Pamela Weibel, she's considered like, you know, the guardian angel to medical students and physicians who are, you know, um, vulnerable to suicide. And she has her own blog. And she's mm-hmm. got, you know, like 50,000 or more viewers. She did a TED Talk, and she has over 380,000 views. She's been wow. interviewed in magazines. So, I mean, like, she was instrumental. She was, I would say, my secret weapon in great campaigns. We actually, you know, did two Kickstarter campaigns, which is, I've been told, almost impossible to do for a film but we we did successful campaigns. So getting back to the team, you know, you should have a few thousand dollars already committed that as soon as you pull the switch, that money goes in because nobody really wants to be the first money in. So you Mm -hmm. need to have this ready to go. So everyone on our team committed themselves to putting in $1,000. So we already wow. started with, with five or $6,000 as soon as we pulled the switch. And that that creates a lot of momentum. Exactly. So no, this is the big week, thing that people forget. You can't start with zero. Yeah. It's just not a good yeah. thing. It's too hard to get going, and people are not going to yeah. keep coming back. They want to see money in there in the beginning. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So it's it's a you know a crowdfunding is a talk in itself, you know, because uh, it it really is a, a full time job, and it's you know it's so important. There's so many things that are so important. Like you can't have a goal that's too high, uh, but you also can't have a goal that's too low, because if it's too high, you know, you're not going to be successful. But if it's too low, well, it's, once you reach your goal, it's very, very difficult to raise additional money. So filmmakers are in this very weird spot. So if your film takes, let's say it's a $200,000 budget, well, you can't ask for a $200,000. So what are you going to do? Um, you're not going to be able to make the film if you say your goal is $30,000, but can you go back again and launch a second campaign? So all of these things have to be considered, and you have to make it very clear in your campaign that this is for pre-production and the beginning of a production funds. 
So when you have to go back, people don't think, oh, you're successful in your campaign. Now you're going to make the film. Why are you coming back to me? So you have to make it very clear what this money will be allocated for. So when you do come back, you have to say, well, you know, we were successful in launching production. Now we have to finish production, and now this will the next campaign will help us start with post-production. So you have to be very clear so you're completely transparent and honest with your supporters. Well, and you must have done that with your uh, Kickstarter crowd because uh, both of your campaigns were successful. And and I don't know, but if you'd like to share the numbers, I thought they were really very good numbers. Yeah, I mean, uh, each campaign we raised over $100,000. Uh, and, you know, there are a lot of expenses that go along with crowdfunding campaigns that you must consider. You know, your perks, if you have um, a consultant, which we did, um, not for the first campaign. Uh, we, we did it all on our own and raised over $100,000. But the second campaign, I was a little nervous, you know, whether or not we could go back uh, and and find new supporters. So we hired uh, a Kickstarter expert, and you can find them. Uh, well, you're connected, Carol, so you know kick, Kickstarter experts, but you can also find them on the Kickstarter homepage uh, uh, below. It says experts, and many of these people are available for consulting if they think, you know, they can help you. Right. So and and uh, so, and did that allay your fears? Did it work for you? I think it was really helpful because Howard Marks, who, who we brought on, uh, he's done so many of these campaigns. So he really made the page look fantastic, and um, you know he consulted about the perks. Although I tried to explain to him in our situation, the perks didn't matter as much. You know, if you're doing a film on Gilda Radner, um, you know, people want perks. They want a DVD of hers or they want a T-shirt, you know, with her picture. But in our case, this was about physician suicide and medical mistakes. The perk was you were supporting a film about a, a hidden epidemic of physician suicide, and we were going to save lives, and we were going to try to change the system. We were going to try to expose this hidden epidemic. And that was more important to crowd than uh, any perks. So Howard, I think, was really shocked at how much we were able to raise while offering very few perks. So the second time around, we did have more perks, but we raised, uh, you know, about the same amount of money. And I, I think we probably could have set our goal higher. I think the second time around, we 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 set the goal at sixty thousand. Even though we really needed more than a hundred thousand, we weren't sure. But once we hit that sixty thousand, pretty soon, uh, you know, within a week or two, um, it, it's tough. It's really tough to go back and say, yes, we reached our goal, but we have three weeks left, and now you have to switch gears. You have to now let people know what this next funding will go to, which in our case was marketing, audience engagement, outreach, which is quite costly <laughs> for a film. Right, It's right. like a third of your budget at least. So we, we probably could have raised a lot more had we set the goal even higher, like at 100000 to start with. We probably could have raised closer to 200000 but we we weren't sure you know, if there were more people. And so we, we set the goal at 60, and we raised about 110 the second time around. That's an the incredible first time, achievement. Yeah. Yeah. Now, let's go back to all of these connectors, because were they working for you? Did they, did they come back and help you the second time? Uh, we had, yes, the, the, my main secret weapon, she was around for both. But uh, we had many of the same people, the core team, help the second time around. And they would just work their, you know, Facebook friends and, you know, send emails. Plus a lot of people in the film 
who were touched by suicide, whether they had family, a family member who was a physician who was lost to suicide or um, a friend. Uh, every doctor that I have spoken to has a friend who who took their life. So uh, we had a lot of people who were touched by suicide, and uh, they were able to reach out to their people to uh, let them know about the campaign. So, and it, it was we did updates. We did daily updates with photos from the film, stories, videos. Um, I'll tell you what was more challenging. I did a film called Behind the Blue Veil about the war on terror in the Sahara Desert and the Tuaregs, which is an indigenous culture. Now, not many people who care about the Tuareg and and the war on terror in the Sahara is so remote to them, even though it's of critical importance, there wasn't a big audience. So we had a tough time. So we set the goal at like $30,000 and um, we relied on a couple of nonprofit organizations that we were doing the film with to help us raise funds. But we, and at some point we did reach our goal because we hired a consultant who I think it was at that time was like $1,500 to just help us because it was the first time we did it. Um, and, and that was very helpful. It was worth $1,500 for sometimes they take a percentage of what you raise, which in our case, you know, would do no harm, you know, a big chunk of money. It was like, you know, $10,000. So you have to decide whether it's worth it. But I, I think you should try to get under 10% or maybe a fixed, a flat fee, but um, it has to be very low because you don't want to be in the hole for too much. So it's sort of, you know, how much confidence do you have? But behind the blue veil was tough, although we did we did reach our goal. And I'll tell you something else. If you think you're getting close to reaching your goal and then someone comes to you with, a, so they want to donate $5,000, um, sometimes it's better not to put that into the campaign because Kickstarter takes 5% and the credit card companies take 3%. So, you you know, you'll lose 8% if you put it through the campaign. So what we did, someone wanted to put money into not just uh, behind the blue veil, but also do no harm. And we said, don't, you know, don't put it through the campaign. We're confident, you know, we're going to reach our goal. So we had them come in separately. So it, it didn't even count towards, so we, we may have had, you know, $30,000 or more that came in. They heard about the campaign but we didn't have them put the money into the Kickstarter campaign. Right. That's smart. Well, but you would really have to know that you were definitely going to hit it because you could, that would be terrible to be short. I always tell people you better have a few thousand dollars on your credit card available (laughs) before you start that campaign because you don't want to lose it just for a, a few thousand. Right. And, you know, Indiegogo, um, you know, there's there are Seed and Spark, there's Kickstarter, Indiegogo. Kickstarter, uh, I believe, is still the most popular. It's still the most well-known. But, yes, if, if you don't reach your goal, uh, you don't get anything, uh, which was the original concept for crowdfunding. You know, if, if we don't make this thing happen, then, you know, you're not going to lose your money. The original idea was, you know, building a community park. So let's all get our money together. Well, if we didn't have enough money to remodel this park, then you know you don't you you wouldn't contribute to you wouldn't lose your money. So that that was the original concept. When Indiegogo came along, um, they have campaigns where you could keep the money whatever you raise. But that took away some of the momentum of having a goal. Don't reach our goal. We're, we're going to lose everything. So I think it's much tougher when you have an Indiegogo campaign where there really isn't like a do or die, 
you know, mo- motivation behind the fundraising that people really feel like, oh, I got to help put them over, you know, so, so they're successful so they don't lose everything. It's the same right. thing with, you know, like after you reach your goal, people say, uh, you know, well, they don't need me now. So even though I believe in the cause, I'm not going to help because they're, they're already good, even though you're far from having the funds that you need to make this film happen. Right. Right. Well, this is a great uh, wealth of information on fundraising through crowdfunding. It's a, a unique way, and it's totally different. You cannot go in there thinking uh, uh, without reading and studying it. So I think I created a whole page on my website just for crowdfunding so that people can understand the language because it's total, there's new language in there, new ideas, new concepts, Right. Yeah, and I, it just floors me sometimes because um, I've been speaking to a lot of young filmmakers and they just don't approach it like a business. And, I mean, I, I you have to be left brain and right brain, and I, I hope I'm more creative than I am business-minded. I really don't like the business aspect of it um, because, uh, you know, it takes away from the creativity, but you really have to be smart. And before you invest your time, you know, time is so important. And you don't want to feel like a failure or that, you know, you've disappointed the people around you. So you've got to be smart when you first set this up to, one, know know that your film will have a huge audience. Uh, and, And number two, once you do, put together that, team that will help you have some money to start connect with all these organizations that might support you um, all, all of these things and then once you flip the switch that you are on it daily you know updating people and giving information and continually reaching out to new people throughout the campaign it's just it's a it's a huge it's a huge commitment that I, I, I think unfortunately most filmmakers don't really understand. No, I don't think they do at all. But the point is that you expanded your database uh, because you were marketing at the same time you were funding. And now that marketing should pay off in your distribution, right? You will have have a good database? Exactly. You know, one of the most important reasons why you do a Kickstarter or any kind of crowdfunding campaign is you're building your audience. You know, we right. we have, you know, uh, 30,000 people now that that have reached out to us. I think the trailer was viewed 50,000 times on oh. our Kickstarter campaign. So, I mean, this is remarkable. And so, yes, so we have the, a growing database just from doing the Kickstarter campaigns. And, of course, now, you know, that we're doing screenings, we're just starting – you know, this database is growing, but it, it does start with your crowdfunding campaign. So even if you don't need a, a lot of money, you know, you should be able to do a Kickstarter campaign just to create a buzz about the film and to build your audience in advance. So when it comes, the film is ready to come out, well, you, you know, you look at each city where everyone is from, they could help do like grassroots screenings in each city, and all of that comes from your crowdfunding campaign. Yes. I'm a big fan of Tug and Gather for for, uh, Cinema On Demand. Yes. Yeah, and Tug is, uh, you know, you in your book you talk about Tug and all these new fantastic ways that filmmakers can get their film in front of an audience, But, but you have to build that audience no one, whether it's VOD, video on demand, or Tug, or you, no one builds an audience for you. You have to build it yourself. So we're back to the first uh, of the big mistakes that filmmakers make, and that is identifying who the audience is and is it really big enough to put three to four years of your life into making a film for that audience, right? Yeah. 
I mean, doctors, when I looked at the number of organizations that exist for physicians, medical students, um, and the number of conferences, it was, like, tremendous. And, but it's not just that. It's not just doctors. We expanded our audience to include patient safety organizations, suicide prevention organizations, mental health organizations. So I think a good tip is that don't just look at a narrow uh, focus for who your audience is. So physicians for us would be the most obvious, but because it's about physician suicide, you have all these other components. And in our film, it's also about medical mistakes. You know, um, medical mistakes are the third leading cause of death in the U.S., but nobody talks about it. So in this film, we make a connection between sleep deprivation, burnout of physicians, especially young physicians, and the high rate of medical mistakes. So this, this is really issue. important. I, I'd like the listeners yeah. to know more about that. I think you told me that after a certain yeah. number of hours, you should, if you have to go to emergency, you should ask the physician That's how long have you been on duty, right? Exactly. I mean, when people, uh, the focus groups that have seen the film and uh, all the audiences that, that have seen it since then in our pre-release screenings, they're shocked when they learn how many hours physicians, especially young physicians, work. So when residents, who after you go to medical school, you go to a residency, uh, so you're now dealing directly with patients. Well, when they were residents, there were no work hour restrictions that were established. So they could work 16, 20, 24 hours, and that, they were, that was the shift. Uh, because they used to live in the hospital in the beginning, but now there are shifts, but there are no limits. So there have been multiple studies that after 16 hours, there is a clear degradation in your skills, and it can be very dangerous. So you don't know as a patient when you go into a hospital how many hours that resident or that doctor has worked. And it's a question that never gets asked, but you should be asking because the rate of medical errors is so high, it's like it's, it's shocking. It's really shocking. So in this film, we connect the conditions in which doctors and medical students work from in medical school with the bullying, the hazing, this cutthroat competition, the sleep deprivation, um, and above all, they deal with life and death every day, but yet they can't get help because of the stigma. It will go, if you try to seek emotional help, it will go on your record that you're in therapy and could be used against you in a malpractice suit, or it could be used against you when you're trying to apply for privileges at a hospital. So um, they don't seek help. So what do they do? They self-medicate with easy-to-access prescription drugs, and none of this is good for patients. So it's no. a very toxic healthcare system, and it's what we're trying to expose. And physician suicide is sort of like the tip of the iceberg. Wow. And then more. It gets deeper and deeper. Oh, I can't wait to see the finished film. Deeper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's a subject that touches a lot of uh, a lot of people and most importantly it's a, a general audience you know we do have a niche audience which is great to have but every one of us is a patient and we have loved ones who are patients so it's a film that everyone really should see so they're aware when they go into a hospital you know what what the possibilities are just to be aware and to ask questions like how many hours have you slept in the past 24 hours or how long you've been on shift exactly well knowing this uh is the most important thing for all of us so that we know what's going on um because it's hard enough 
to go into a an emergency center in the first place. You're not going in unless you're in pain or very sick. And so you really need to know how to handle yourself. Well, uh, thank you so much for making such an important film for us. Now let's let's go to distribution. I know that the, this game of distribution has changed a lot. So what's your strategy? It, it, it has changed so much, and um, I've learned a lot since um, a painful lesson with my first film after I left PBS. That film was called Transformation in 2007. And I remember, you know, we had a big opening in New York, and I signed a distribution deal with Screen Media Films. And um, what, I did retain rights to sell DVDs, but uh, I, there were some critical mistakes made. Like, we said we were going to all sell it for the same price, but I didn't realize that I had no control, and they had no control over Netflix and VOD. So these online services like Netflix and Amazon were selling the DVD for much lower than we were going to. They were like five ninety nine, and we were we had just come out with the film, and I had no control. So we lost so much income uh, without being clear that um, they no one could sell it for less than we could, or that that's just impossible. You can't. So maybe you retain DVD rights or you're, yeah. So that was a painful, painful lesson in distribution that I learned early on to try to save rights. So for this film, um, what we're doing right now is it's, it's, we just finished it. And and as I said, you know, we're still tweaking it. So we're starting to enter film festivals uh, the season's almost over, so we entered into AFI docs, and you know we'll see what else comes up. But a lot of the still big festivals are sort of over, so and we don't really want to wait till the fall. So we're kind of in like a tough spot, you know, about what to do in terms of film festivals. But in the meantime, we have a huge database of all the medical schools, teaching hospitals, and medical conferences. And we are planning an international film tour. Great. So we're, we're, Tell we're us looking about at that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there have been documentary films that have made more than a million dollars by doing what's called semi-theatrical release, which is basically do-it-yourself um, screenings. And you talk about this, Carol, as well, you know, in, in, in your books that, you know, you go into a community and you do your own screening, whether it's through Tug or uh, any uh, local theater. So you, you, you do these screenings on your own. So that's what we're going to be doing because we can really recoup a lot of the money that was spent outside of our Kickstarter campaign through doing these uh, individual screenings. So we'll look at our market and we'll go into the top 20, um, uh, you know, medical centers and do screenings at these medical schools or maybe we'll rent a theater. And uh, we have a grassroots team from our Kickstarter supporters that will get the word out uh, that screening will be held on these days and um, we'll do distribution ourselves. At the same time, we'll be talking to broadcast partners or other distribution, but we'll always retain the right to have these screenings because, you know, you you can make pretty good money uh, if you do it that way. I remember the film Burn, the documentary Burn, how they would go into, um, you know, every community has a fire station, and many cities have multiple fire stations. So they would go into a community, rent a theater, and send out flyers and emails to all the firehouses in the area, and they would, like, sell out for a week. Yeah, they did a fabulous job. It was incredible, and they merchandised. The same thing with, uh, I think it was called Age of Champions, about you know, senior athletes. 
they connected with uh, the AARP and other senior groups um, and did tremendously well in these private screenings. So that's, that's really what we're going to do. And eventually, after we do this international film tour, we'll make the film available as an educational tool uh, for um, school, you know, medical schools, even pre-med schools. And we'll put together, we'll create like a, a discussion guide that will be part of that. But for the film tour, I will be there doing leading Q&A panel discussions. Some of the people in the film will be there. And we're creating, like, events, not just, you know, here's the film, you know, let us know how it goes. But we're going to be doing events. So we'll have a panel discussion with people from the community to talk about how physician suicide, burnout, medical mistakes impact the community about the state of healthcare uh, and the quality of care. So and the quality, right? Wonderful. Yeah. So we're exci- we're excited. At the same time, we can entertain broadcast partners and you know uh, VOD. You know, talk to other people, but it it shouldn't stop us from doing these you know, other screen, you know, private screenings or even open to the public, but we'll just proceed and, you know, reach out to our base. Absolutely. That's what the film was for. You And you are yeah. taking it into the communities to show it to the people that need to see it. This is so important. I know you'll do well. Thank you. Yeah, it, it's about changing the culture of healthcare, you know, through legislation, uh, putting pressure on the agent, the medical agencies and institutions that set guidelines for how many hours young doctors can work, uh, putting pressure on lawmakers in D.C. about getting involved in the issue of patient safety. Uh, you know, it, it, it's been ignored for so many years. Uh, when, I mean, if it's the third leading cause of death, you know, as Bernie Sanders says in the film, you know, why isn't this on the front page of the papers every single day? Exactly. That's right. So, yeah. So that's our distribution plan. Film festivals, while doing these uh, screenings, working with, we've gotten about 200 requests so far from medical schools and teaching hospitals, just from Facebook and, you know, getting the word out through our Kickstarter campaign. People know about this film. So we've got That's an incredible reach, Robin. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we're mining those contacts. Uh, Now when I go to an event, uh, I hand out postcards. And on the bottom of the postcards, it says, for screening information, uh, go to info at donoharmfilm.com. Or if you go to the website, donoharmfilm.com, there's a screening tab where you can fill out a form and request a screening. So we, you know, we hand out these postcards now wherever we go. So we, we have a lot of requests from that alone. Oh, that's great. So it's <laughs> everywhere you go, you're marketing. <laughs> you have yes, to. Exactly. You have to. I mean, you know, you're spending four or five years of your life. Uh, you, you better be passionate about this. And, and you know, I could have made a lot more money producing commercials, but I'm passionate about, you know, making a difference by saving lives, by you know, uh, things, doing projects that matter. So um, you have to be passionate about that. And part of the passion has to spill over into sharing it with others, the distribution side of it. Right. Right. This is so important. It's changing belief systems. See, that's what you have to, you're doing is you are bringing the knowledge to us that things are not like we think. Well, well this is what right. is going on behind the scenes, and you need to know. So you are really not safe <laughs> unless you ask the right questions. You know, right? I, I can't believe how candid some of these physicians are in this film that talk about, you know, things like 
you know, doctors are handling more patients than they can comfortably handle. You know, they're admitting this. Um, yes. For physicians to talk about, you know, their suicidal thoughts, um, for it, it's taboo. You know, doctors are supposed to be, you know, perfect. They're supposed to be superhuman. Um, you know, you go to doctors, they're, they're just, you know, they're supposed to show no weakness. So for them to talk about, hey, we're human too, uh, is is really you know, remarkable for them to come forward like this. But they realize it's not healthy. It's yes, not healthy right. for them to, you know, be so stoic uh, and act like, you know, their jobs don't affect them. It's not that they love being doctors, but they don't want to work in an assembly line medical system. They don't want to be abused, you know, by, you know, work hours. And the opposition would say, well, you know, we have to train these doctors to, you know, work all night because if your patient needs you, uh, you you know, you want to be there for them. But, you know, if you're sleep deprived and haven't slept in 20 hours, you're no good to that patient. So it's better to hand off in a safe way to someone else, get some sleep, and then you can check on your patient the next day. It's, It's really abuse and and every other industry, whether you're a truck driver or a banker, an airline pilot, every industry has work hour restrictions except for physicians and they are dealing with life and death. So that's an incredible statement, Robin. I didn't ever realize that. Yes, it's it's true. I mean truck drivers can't drive more than X number of hours. Pilots can't drive, can't fly more than, you know, a a certain number of hours. They must rest for three days. And it's just there are all these regulations. But unfortunately, uh, physicians are not governed by OSHA or any other uh, regulatory um, agency in terms of work hours. And because young residents are cheap labor, they're um, underwritten by um, the federal government. Uh, they're, you know, they're subsidized. They're pay. They're they're very cheap labor. So, and they have no rights. They're stuck in between being students and physicians, and so they're really worked very hard hours. And imagine, you know, we, we meet a young Dr. Hawkins who attempted suicide, and now he's in his residency program, and he's working 21-hour shifts. And we have uh, experts from Harvard University, two of them, the two top sleep experts in the world, and they say, you know, imagine you're a physician, you've trained for eight years, 12 years, you go out ready to save patients, and then you're told you have to work a 20-hour shift, or 20 now, they just changed the rules, to 28-hour shifts for first-year residents. Oh, and, that's and ludicrous. They're being, they're being set up by this system to fail. Mm-hmm. Incredible. So, and it, it is incredible. So it's really shocking when you see in the film what's going on. So there are a lot of interested parties, but uh, a general audience for sure is 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 some is an audience that really needs to see this film because as i as i said you know we're all at risk we're all at risk well thank you I, we've learned so much from you about distribution and crowdfunding and mistakes not to make so um please let our filmmakers know how they could reach you to join your community or to see your film so go to a couple of ways. Uh, go to www.donoharmfilm.com, and um, you, there's a screening tab, so you can just reach out and uh, request a screening or email at info at donoharmfilm.com if you'd like to join our mailing list or reach out to me. Uh, I'm at robin at donoharmfilm.com. So uh, many ways to uh, keep in touch. 
Oh, that sounds great. We want you to come back in six months and tell us how you did with your international film uh, tour. That sounds yes. like yes. it'll be a and winner. And, of course, we're on Facebook, too. Um, Do No Harm Film. Uh, the documentary is on Facebook, too. So, of course, and we're on Twitter <laughs> at Do No Harm Film. Uh we got you have to you have to do it all. We're not on Instagram, but we're on Twitter and uh Facebook where we have updates. Okay. Twitter, Facebook and info at do no harm film dot com. Yes. Exactly. Okay. Oh my gosh. Best of luck to you, Robin. Thank you so much. Thanks, Carol. And thank you so much for the grant. It's it, you know, it's so important. There are so few grants for filmmakers and um, the community I speak for the community really appreciates all the work that you've done over the years and for the Roy W. Dean grant that helps filmmakers and uh, above all makes us feel like you know we're not in it alone so thank you so much for all you do Thank you. Oh, my gosh, how kind of you to say that. I really appreciate hearing it because I love what I do. It's an enormous amount of work, though. But getting films like yours or even just being a tiny part of of your film is a great reward, Robin. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Claire. All right, right, Robin. You're welcome. I'll stay in touch. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.